Chapter 15 of Leatherface, A Tale of Old Flanders. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah. Leatherface, A Tale of Old Flanders by Baroness Orxy. Chapter 15, Two Pictures. These stand out clearly among the mass of documents, details, dissertations, and chronicles of the time, so clearly indeed that only a brief mention of them will suffice here. First, Lenora in the small room, which adjoined the council chamber within Het Spanjard's Castile in Ghent, she had stood for close upon an hour under the lintel of the open door, her hand clinging to the heavy velvet portier. Not one sound which came from the council chamber failed to strike her ear. Every phrase of that awesome interview between the supplicants and their vengeful tyrant struck at her heart, until at last, unable to keep still, she uttered a moan of pain. All this was his work, not hers. Before God and her own conscience, she felt that she could not have acted differently, that if it had all to be done again, she would again obey the still, insistent voice which had prompted her to keep her oath and to serve her king and country in the only way that lay in her power. It was his work, not hers, his, whose whole life seemed to be given over to murder, to rebellion, and to secret plottings, and who had tried to throw dust in her eyes and to cajole her into becoming a traitor too, to all that she held dear. It was his work, and the terrible reprisals which the Duke of Alva's retributive justice would mete out to this rebellious city lay at the door of those who had conspired against the state, and not hers, who had only been an humble tool in almighty hands. But in spite of her inner conviction that she had done right, in spite of her father's praise and approval, which he had lavished on her all the way from Dendermond to Ghent, she could not rid herself of a terrible sense of utter desolation and utter misery, and of a feeling of pity for all these poor people, which caused her unendurable, almost physically unendurable, agony. When Anon, the lieutenant governor, dismissed the burghers, and after a few words with her father, and Signor del Rio left the council chamber, Lenora had a feeling as if the ground was opening before her, as if an awful chasm yawned at her feet, into which she must inevitably fall if she dared look into it. And yet she looked and looked, as if fascinated by the hideousness of what she saw, pictures of cruelty and of evil far more horrible than any which had ever been limed of hell. And 
in the overwhelming horror which faced her now she felt herself screaming aloud with appealing defiance it is his work not mine let the blood of his kinsfolk fall upon him not me ere she tottered and fell back when full consciousness returned to her her father was by her side he looked pale and sullen and instinctively she drew away from him whereat he smiled showing his large teeth which looked like the fangs of a wolf i ought never to have allowed you to come here lenora he said roughly as his highness said it was not at all fit for women's ears his highness she retorted coldly also said that to be here was my right your triumph to-day being all due to me well he added lightly tis you wanted to come remember yes she said i wanted to come i would have sent you to brussels with inez and a good escort it is not too late you can still go ghent will not be a fitting place for women during the next few days he added whilst a glow of evil satisfaction suddenly lit up his sallow face would you prefer to go no father i thank you she replied i would wish to stay ah that's a brave daughter and a true spaniard he cried and i promise you that you shall be satisfied with what you see ramon your cousin will be avenged more completely than even you could have dared to hope and that assassin leatherface will suffer you shall see him dangling on a gibbet never fear a slight shudder went right through her her face was as white as her gown and as she made no reply her father continued blandly you little thought that your marriage would bring such a magnificent harvest of reprisals quite so soon the city of ghent and the man leatherface the destruction of the one and the death of the other are your work my daughter she closed her eyes for she saw that awful chasm once more yawning at her feet and once more she felt herself falling falling with no one to cling to but her father who kept asking her whether she was satisfied with what she had done his voice came to her as through a shroud he talked and talked incessantly of ghent of rebels of murder and pillage and gibbets and torture chambers of women and children and fathers of families of sons and of daughters and of one leatherface of the high bailiff of ghent of lawrence and of mark her husband i wonder where that fool is now she could hear her father saying through a muffler which seemed to envelop his mouth on the high road to brussels mayhap with a message from you to me did you say you had sent him on from dendermont or straight away from ghent i am half sorry i gave in to your whim and brought you here with me but tis you wanted to come eh my girl you were so obstinate i was weak enough to give in but i ought not to have let you listen to those mealy-mouthed flemings 
Ah, you are my true daughter. You wanted to see these traitors punished. What? And Ramon's murder avenged. Well, you shall see it all, my dear, I promise you. But I wish you could tell me what has become of that fool of a husband of yours. We shall have to know presently if you are still wife or widow. He said this quite gaily, and laughed at his own jest, and Lenora, pale and wild-eyed, echoed his laugh. She laughed as she had done two nights ago at Dendermond, when a face made up of lighted windows grinned at and mocked her across the grand place. She laughed until the whole room began to dance a wild galliard around her, until her father's face appeared like one huge mocking grin. Then she just glided from the couch down on to the floor, and there she lay, white and inert, whilst Signor de Vargas, cursing the megrims of women, went calmly in search of help. The second picture has for background the refectory in the convent of St. Agneton at the same hour as when last night the newly chosen mysterious leader had roused boundless enthusiasm in the hearts of all his hearers. There is no lack of enthusiasm now either, but tempers are more subdued. Gloom hangs over the assembly, for Monsieur the Procurator-General has just given a graphic account of his mission to the Lieutenant-Governor. When he has finished speaking, the man with the mask, who sits at the head of the table at the top of the long, low room, asks quietly. Then he refused. All the five men who this morning had knelt humbly before the tyrant exchange silent glances, after which Monsieur Denut says firmly, He refused. Nothing will save our city, insisted Leatherface solemnly, except if we track the Prince of Orange and bring him bound and a prisoner to the feet of Alva. Nothing, save Orange's person, will move Alva from his resolve. Leatherface sits for a moment quite still, with his head buried in his hands, and the vast crowd now assembled in the room waits in breathless silence for his next word. There are far more than two thousand men here this night. The number has indeed been more than doubled. The deadly danger which threatens the city has already brought over three thousand new recruits to the standard. Suddenly, with a resolute gesture, Leatherface draws his mask away and rises to his feet in full view of all the crowd. Mark Van Ryck comes as one cry from several hundred throats. I, he says, with a light laugh, your ne'er-do-well and frequenter of taverns was just the watchdog of our noble prince. Unknown, I was able to render him some small service. Now that you are no longer called upon to throw me as a bait to the snarling lion, I'll resume mine own identity, and hereby ask you, if, knowing me for what I am, you still trust me to lead you to victory or to death. To victory, shout the younger men enthusiastically. 
to die like men murmur the older ones to-morrow we fight signors says mark earnestly to-morrow we defend our homes our wives our daughters with scarce a hope of success to-morrow we show to the rulers of the world how those of the downtrodden race can die whilst fighting for god and liberty to-morrow they all assent with unbounded enthusiasm the ardor of a noble cause is in their veins not one of them here hesitates for one second in order to count the cost and yet every one of them know that theirs is a forlorn cause how can a handful of burghers and apprentices stand up before the might of spain but they are men at bay they the sober burghers of a fog-ridden land steady wise of counsel without an ounce of impetuosity or hot-headedness in their blood and yet they are ready to go into this desperate adventure without another thought save that of selling their lives and the honor of their women-folk as dearly as they can for leader they have a man for help they have only god for incentive they have their own dignity their pride their valor for weapon they have the justice of their cause and the right to die like men End of chapter 15